The following episode contains subject matter that may be triggering for some people, including non-graphic mentions of murder, suicide, racism, abuse, or sexual assault, and may contain foul language. This episode is presented in as accurate a manner as possible for educational purposes with the intention of raising awareness of the cases mentioned. It is not intended to make accusations, only to point out data patterns. If you have information on any of these cases, please contact Crime Stoppers Canada at 1-800-222-TIPS. That's 1-800-222-8477 or visit canadiancrimestoppers.org to submit a tip electronically. Don't stay silent. Your information might save a life. As we've seen, many killers have spent time on Highway 16, but one stands out as having the highest proposed body count. I say proposed because though he's killed over a dozen women in the US and Canada, only one north of the border has been confirmed, and even that is questionable, as we'll see. For once, it's less a case of laziness or ineptitude on the part of the investigators, and more to do with a simple lack of physical evidence and the passage of too many years. In an isolated northern area prone to harsh winters that has not always had telephone service, paved roads, or cell reception, you can imagine that seasonal work makes up a large part of the economy, and that's as true today as it was in the 1970s and 80s. Fishing, canning, and logging are still three of the largest industries in the region. In fact, outside of television, entertainment, and science, which are all largely based in the Vancouver, Victoria area, the main occupations are agriculture, construction, fisheries and aquaculture, forestry, manufacturing, mining, and tourism. When half the year is spent covered in ice, it gives new meaning to the phrase, make hay while the sun shines. Outside of manufacturing and to a lesser extent mining, all of those have a limited window of time when they can operate, meaning that summers are busy with an influx of out-of-town workers trying to make extra cash while they can before holding up for the winter or going back to school. This means employee turnover is high, with most workers only staying three to six months before moving on. So while most of the towns along Highway 16 are small, everybody knows everybody types of places, warm weather can see a lot of unfamiliar faces popping up, and not all of them are friendly. In addition, the area is known for camping and fishing, making the campgrounds of northern BC popular summer vacation spots for families, van lifers, and retired RVers. This transient population creates a perfect cover for people like Robert Jack Fowler. While most of the seasonal workers are perfectly good people who just want to make a buck, people like Fowler are all too good at using them as a smokescreen to hide their true intentions. On June 13, 1939, a little boy came screaming into the world. Little Bobby was the second of three children, all of whom were roundly beaten by their parents whenever they were in the mood. Bobby grew up to be just as violent as his father, drinking too much and abusing meth. He married in 1959, passing on his parents' fantastic parenting skills to his sons before he and his wife divorced in 1971. His string of exes described him as violent and, in general, bad news. 
Immediately after his divorce, he moved to British Columbia, where he got seasonal work with a roofing company. It was just one of many construction jobs he took over the years that saw him traveling around the Pacific Northwest and into Texas, Florida, South Carolina, and Louisiana, among other states. In 1969, he was arrested for a double murder, but in the end was only charged with a weapons violation. It's not totally clear why the murder charges were dropped, but Texas police could have stopped him years before our story begins. For at least 16 women in the US and Canada, Bobby was both their worst nightmare and the last one they would ever have. This is the story of three victims of Bobby Jack Fowler, murdered on the Highway of Tears. Gail Ways was a bubbly, outgoing 19-year-old who worked at a service station in Clearwater. Despite being a tomboy, the fair-haired teen always wanted to be a mother, probably the result of caring for her seven younger siblings. She also had one older sibling, making for a crowded household. She was a girl guide, a volunteer with special needs kids, and got involved in just about everything. She wanted to travel to Mexico to help the less fortunate. She was the type of person who helped everyone and wanted to make her mark on the world. She wanted to change things and to make them better. On the evening of October 19, 1973, she was just finishing up her shift and trying to find a ride home to Kamloops. She didn't have a car and often relied on others for transportation. Usually someone was willing to give her a ride, but that night no one was headed south along her route. So after finishing up the night, she put on her coat and went to the side of the road, sticking out her thumb. No one in the station saw her get into a vehicle and no one matching Bobby Fowler's description was inside that night. Her body was found on April 6, 1974, just south of where she'd last been seen. I've been unable to find her cause of death or the circumstances under which her body was found. Most articles just repeat the same information and nothing has been written on the case since 2013. Barely three weeks later, another fair-haired tomboy went missing on November 6th. 17-year-old Pam Darlington was on her way to meet some friends at a bar in Kamloops, hitching a ride to the Thompson Pub. Friends confirmed that she arrived safely, but sometime after, she was seen with a, quote, good-looking guy with shaggy hair that none of them knew. Her brother Joe always suspected it was a local with a crush on Pam. That person later committed suicide, but no leads have ever turned up in the case. The man was never identified. Pam was found the following day in a park by the river, and just like Lee Moody and Micheline Paré, she was sexually assaulted and beaten to death, dumped in a public area that, while off the beaten path, wasn't truly hidden. Colleen McMillan, yet another light-haired BC resident, was only 16 and hitching off of Highway 97 to see friends. Highway 97 intersects with Highway 16 and is one of the branches of the Highway of Tears that investigators are looking into as part of EPANA. However, Colleen is not considered part of the EPANA investigation. Why? No idea. She fits the four criteria put forward by the RCMP in terms of gender, location, high-risk behavior, and the attack being perpetrated by a stranger. For that matter, all of the victims we've talked about so far fit that bill, 
but of the 90 plus victims I've identified for this podcast, only 18 are part of ePANA and no one has been added since 2007. Colleen was found about a month after she disappeared on September 5th, 1974 on a logging road near 100 Mile House. She'd been strangled. A teenage boy was out walking his dog when the dog led him to what he thought was a body. Terrified, he ran back home to get his father, who returned with him to the site. Yep, that's a body, he said in the most Canadian way possible. The two returned home to call the police. Three teenage girls, all white with light brown or blonde hair, hitchhiking in the same area. While a car matching the description of Fowler's was seen in the area where Pam was found just before her body was discovered, it wasn't enough to link an individual to the crime, and the three cases went cold until 2012 when DNA evidence on Colleen's clothing was able to match her death to Fowler. That should be a happy ending, right? It should be even better news that Fowler was arrested in 1996 and hadn't been out since, right? right? Unfortunately, this is the part where these cases get even more frustrating. In 1995 in Oregon, Fowler was arrested after one of his victims, who was being held captive in a motel, managed to climb out the window wearing nothing but a rope tied to her ankle. She ran screaming for help down the street before stumbling into a shop where the cashier locked the door behind her and called the police. Out on the street, passersby thought she was drunk or crazy or high. It was some time before she calmed down enough to tell her story to the two male police officers that were sent to investigate. After hearing her harrowing tale of kidnap and abuse, Fowler was arrested and charged with a laundry list of crimes, including, but not limited to, kidnapping, attempted rape, and sexual abuse. He was convicted and sentenced to 16 years. While he did have the possibility of parole, 10 years later, he was still inside and not doing well. In 2006, he died in prison of lung cancer, which is why when his DNA was finally matched to Colleen McMillan's crime scene in 2012, nothing was done. Colleen was dead, most of her family was gone, and the killer was dead. What more could they do? But that's only the start. His DNA was tested against several other Highway of Tears cases, and according to the RCMP, he is a strong, probable suspect in the murders of Pam Darlington and Gail Ways. However, evidence collection was different in the early 1970s. While the police haven't gone into detail on the cause, no definitive match can be made to the either case. This could be because in 1973 and 1974, police agencies didn't even know what DNA was. They could barely match blood types, let alone the chemical building blocks of an individual. So either the storage or collection methods were insufficient for preserving DNA evidence, or the evidence was degraded or damaged over time. For example, if there was a problem in the storage facility that caused the temperature to get too high, maybe a water leak or something along those lines. DNA does degrade over time, so if the RCMP didn't know they would have to look for it, it's entirely possible that they did everything right in 1974 and it still went wrong by 2012. They might only have a partial DNA match that isn't enough for a conviction. So while Pam and Gail have been attributed to Fowler's rap sheet, no one can say for certain. Their cases are technically still open, but they're considered resolved.
but if you thought that was the last twist in this case, think again. Since the announcement in 2012, there's suspicion that Fowler might be linked to another crime from 1989, which we'll get into more detail with in a future episode since it's also a Highway of Tears case. But the short version is that Darlene Jack and her family went missing in 1989 after being offered a job at a logging camp. Darlene's sister, Marlene, was in the bar with her when she and her husband got the offer and has since identified the previously unknown man as Bobby Jack Fowler. Police, however, have been reluctant to follow up on this tip, saying that they don't think Fowler committed any of the Highway 16 murders after 1989. Like I said, this is another case we'll talk about more later, so I'm not going to go into specifics here. Fowler was confirmed active all over the U.S. and Canada from 1969 to 1995, though he spent most of his time in the Pacific Northwest. He's been linked to at least nine murders in Oregon alone, and it's more than possible he's connected to other crimes along Highway 16. We just might not have the physical evidence to prove it because the DNA has degraded or the body hasn't been found. In his seasonal jobs, he drove up and down Highway 16 and the surrounding area all summer long. As a roofer, he had access to not just businesses and new build construction, but occupied homes where he might have been able to stalk his victims or create some kind of rapport with them, making it easier to lure them away later. He may have also worked other construction-related jobs. Roofing is the only one specifically mentioned in the reports, though also the more general construction umbrella. Was he working as a handyman or another position that would have gotten him inside potential victims' homes or in close proximity to them? Unfortunately, we just don't know. His DNA hasn't been linked to any other Highway of Tears crimes that we know of, but his victimology is pretty broad. We won't know until every missing woman and girl on this list has been found, and thoroughly examined for DNA evidence. At least three other serial killers have been identified along Highway 16 with similar attitudes to Fowler. He believed that the women he picked up along the side of the road not only deserved to be assaulted, but they wanted it. They were looking for someone to harm them when they stepped up to the side of the road and put their thumb out. All Gail Ways wanted was to go home. All Pam and Colleen wanted was to see their friends. But now, they're just three more ghosts along the Highway of Tears. The Ghosts of Highway 16 is a production of Not Magic Studios and is intended for educational purposes and to raise awareness of crime, especially those involving missing and murdered Indigenous women. If you have any information on the cases presented, please contact Crime Stoppers Canada at 1-800-222-TIPS. That's 1-800-222-8477 or visit CanadianCrimeStoppers.org to submit a tip electronically. If you would like more information on this episode or any of the cases presented in this series, please visit 16ghosts.com for photos, sources, and a full transcript of this and every other episode. If you would like to support the podcast, please share it with friends. Any financial contributions should go to the Indigenous charity of your choice. 
For a list of recommendations, please visit our website. Thank you for listening.